Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley. Thanks for listening. With the guest hosts and special episodes of late, it feels like it's been a while since I've had a standard format episode of the show. Uh, As much as I love having guests, it's good to settle in and be on my own once in a while, too. And it's odd that this episode, I am on my own, because this episode, we're looking at a story that's very much centered on the idea of a famous team-up. Well, every episode is is about the famous team of the world's finest, Superman and Batman. And don't forget Robin! Yes, yes, and Robin, too. Superman, Batman, and Robin. But mostly Superman and Batman. Holy catastrophe! This episode, though... Our story involves another famous trio of adventurers, the Three Musketeers. This time out, we are looking at World's Finest Comics number 82, which, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was released around March 22, 1956. It has a May-June 1956 cover date and 32 pages for the price of 10 cents. Our cover is by Wynne Mortimer and shows the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight and the Boy Wonder fending off a horde of advancing swashbuckling swordsmen in order to protect the legendary man and the Iron Mask. And it's a solid cover. The orangish-yellow background is a bit... much? But the art itself is great, and it's it's really one of the better covers from this late, golden age of, of World's Finest Comics. Turning inside, the issue was edited by Jack Schiff, and our 12-page story was written by Edmund Hamilton, penciled by Dick Sprang, and inked by Stan K. One for all, and all for one. Down through the centuries has rung that famous motto of the Three Musketeers, those swashbuckling heroes of the 17th century France. But now the place of those adventurers is filled by the three great champions of today, Superman, Batman, and Robin. And while swords flash, grim danger threatens, as the most perilous mystery of the past is challenged by... The Three Super Musketeers. As our story begins, Dr. Carter Nichols announces his latest project, a plan to finally solve history's greatest riddle, the identity of the man in the Iron Mask. Curious, Superman pays a visit to his old friend Batman and learns that the dynamic duo, as Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, are going back in time to investigate. Clark Kent talks his way into going along, and soon, Superman and Batman... And don't forget Robin! Yes, and Robin, too, are three centuries into the past. They don't have time for sightseeing, though, as the world's finest are quickly drawn into a fracas between the Royal Guard, on orders of King Louis XIV's evil Chancellor Bourdais, and D'Artagnan and the legendary Three Musketeers, Porthos, Arthos, and Aramis. With the Three Musketeers wounded and on the run, the world's finest borrow their swords and clothes, presumably just tripping down in the middle of a field, but we won't think about that, and make quick work of the guardsmen. Once the fight is over, D'Artagnan reveals that the man in the Iron Mask, who they were trying to reach when Bourdais' men attacked them, is the recently vanished Count Fernie, noble friend of the people. Batman agrees to help free the prisoner, and after dropping the musketeers at a nearby peasant's home for medical attention, D'Artagnan and the three super musketeers ride towards the castle of Pignerol. At the castle, Bourdais is berating his guardsmen when he hears about the three musketeers' approach. 
well, they think it's the Three Musketeers. We know it to be D'Artagnan and the World's Finest. D'Artagnan and the World's Finest. Admit it, you'd buy that comic. Anyway, Superman goes ahead to draw the guard's fire, shrugging off cannon blasts and lobbing the weapons back at the castle, snapping the chains that hold up the drawbridge. He then tears through the iron gate and makes short work of the guards, just in time for Batman and Robin to charge into the castle and take the credit. And for Robin to make a pun so bad that even Batman, the man who once screamed death to Dr. Death as he watched his foe die in a fire, to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't deserve that. So soon, Bourdais emerges with the man in the iron mask in tow and threatens to kill the prisoner if the super musketeers don't surrender. Knowing they can't risk an innocent man's life, the three heroes allow themselves to be chained and watch as Bourdais and his men ride off with the prisoner. Once the troops are out of sight, the world's finest break free thanks to Superman's super strength, and along with D'Artagnan, decide to go to the Bastille, where history says the man in the iron mask was kept and ultimately died. Once in France, Batman sends Superman and D'Artagnan to keep an eye on the man in the iron mask, while he and Robin go to retrieve the king. Flash forward past some horseback dynamics and sword fighting, and Batman and Robin arrive at the castle and find the king, just in time for the king to knock himself out, fending off what he thinks is an attack from Batman and Robin. Not once to let a little unconsciousness get in their way, Robin undresses the king, putting him in the Batman costume, while Batman puts on the king's wardrobe and then charges towards the Bastille, flanked by the royal guard. But a spy sends word by carrier pigeon about the king's approach, and Bourdais floods the dungeon in order to eliminate the problem of the man in the iron mask and make it look like an accident. But when the waters are drained away, Bourdais is surprised, shocked, and even a little bit flummoxed when he finds the man in the iron mask still lives. Bourdais orders the dungeon walled up with bricks and mortar, but no sooner is the job complete does the man in the iron mask come crashing through the wall, and like a tornado unleashed, tears through Bourdais' men. As King Louis, Batman, and Robin arrive, the man in the iron mask is unmasked, revealing Superman. D'Artagnan enters with the real man in the iron mask, Count Fernie, and Superman explains he was worried about Fernie's safety, so he tunneled into the dungeon and took his place. The king then orders Bourdais arrested and sentences him, sentences him to life imprisonment in the Bastille and that he must forever wear the Iron Mask himself, thus fulfilling the history that Superman and Batman... And don't forget Robin! Oh, for the love of... Yeah, yes, fulfilling the history that Superman, Batman, and Robin know about. The heroes then say goodbye just before they're pulled back to 1956 and their old friend, Professor Nichols. The end. When this issue popped up in the random order, I briefly considered skipping it because it just didn't look like something I wanted to revisit. But then I figured if I'm picking and choosing which random issues I want to cover, that kind of defeats the purpose of random. So here we are. And I gotta say, I am really glad I pushed forward on this one because it was really fun. And I'll give you that the basic concept of Superman and Batman going back in time to team up with the Three Musketeers or to find out the identity of the Man in the Iron Mask is maybe a little bit silly to our modern sensibilities as comic book readers. But this was the kind of stories they were telling then. So if you can get past that, this one's a real treat. 
Um, there was a lot of story here, but it was tightly told. There was plenty of action, and it was exciting and interesting enough that it, it, it didn't feel like a slog. Um, for comparison, I'm going to refer you back to episode three, where I covered the alien Superman, which was full of plot holes and contrivances that that just made it a slog to get through. Now, I will admit that there's a bit of... There's not a lot of danger or, or worry about the resolution here with this story. And to a certain extent, that's true of all comics, um, especially Silver Age ones. But neither Superman and Batman in this story are ever in any kind of real danger, and there's no mystery to solve because the identity of the Man in the Iron Mask is revealed pretty early in the story. But one of the things that saves it is that Hamilton really kept the story moving along at a fast pace. And there's plenty of action to keep you interested, but but not so much action or, or wedged into places that it just feels gratuitous. Um, Superman and Batman both got their times to shine, both individually and together. And Robin, because I've been told, you know, we, I've been told not to forget Robin, was there. You know, he played a small enough role that I still felt this was a Superman and Batman story rather than a Superman, Batman, and Robin story, which, as I've talked about before, is something that's important to me as a person reading a Superman and Batman story. Um, plus, I like that the story, in its way, could get kids interested in learning more about the Three Musketeers or the Man in the Iron Mask. Um, as I've said before, I like this age when comics tried to be educational along the way of being you know, entertaining. And if reading this comic got someone interested in going to read the Alexander Dumas novel or, you know, pick up a history book and learn more about the Man in the Iron Mask, then that's all the better to me. As for the art, you know, I've talked in more than one episode about my love of Dick Sprang's work on these stories, and this issue is really no different at all. Uh, Superman looks awesome. Batman looks awesome. The period costumes are pretty extensively detailed for uh, an early Silver Age comic. The panels are dynamic. You know, even even the ones where there isn't any action, where it's just two characters talking to one another. It's, it's, it's just an exciting book to look at, you know, let alone read. So, all told, even though I didn't have a, a whole lot of specific comments about it, I'm going to give this one a big thumbs up. And I will hold it up as, you know, at, at least as far as this podcast is concerned, as proof that you shouldn't go with your first assumptions about a book when bowling whether or not to cover it. Um, and wow, I really didn't have too much to say about that at all. Uh, but right now we're going to take a break, play a couple promos, and then we'll be back to talk about what else was in the book and what else was on the stands. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase but then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this Ultra of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. 
But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? If you want to read this story, it has actually received quite a few reprints. The first was in 80-page giant number 15 from 1965, which was an uh, all-Superman-Batman issue. It contains like six stories, maybe seven stories, all reprinted from the pages of World's Finest Comics. And it's also received more modern reprints via the greatest team-up stories ever told, which came out in hardcover and trade paperback, as well as World's Finest Archives Volume 1, and then in black and white in Showcase Presents World's Finest, again, Volume 1. And if you're interested in hearing another podcaster's take on the story, seek out episode 191 of the Superman Fan Podcast where host Billy Hogan, who you might be hearing more of very soon, just saying, covered the story as part of his trek through the Silver Age. Other features in the book include a six-page tomahawk story titled The Indian Fortune Teller and a six-page Green Arrow story titled The Pictures of Peril. And there's also a two-page text story credited to Jack Miller entitled Adventure Under the Sea. Ad-wise, there's really not too much to talk about. Um, The most standout to me was another of the public service ads that I think I've talked about these on previous episodes, but this one features Superman and extols the virtues of libraries and and reading in general, which really tied in, you know, even even though I'm sure it was completely coincidence, it tied in quite nicely with the lead story that we just looked at, since that was dealing with, you know, great uh, fictional... Uh, adventurers from literature, you know, as well as the the man in the iron mask. Uh, But if you're interested in seeing this ad, I'll be sure to include it in the show notes for this episode at greatcrypton.com. But now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com and take a trip in the time machine 
to see what else was on the stands. And once again, we're in the period before the Silver Age superhero revival. So DC's output is heavy with genre books and adaptations of radio shows such as Mr. District Attorney. Attorney, excuse me, Mr. District Attorney. There we go. However, also out this month was Showcase number 2. And while the issue itself isn't much of note, it means we're only two issues and about four months away from Showcase number 4, which is the first appearance of the Barry Allen Flash and what many consider to be the official beginning of the Silver Age of comic books. Detective Comics number 231 features a Batman story titled Batman Jr., where Robin discovers that Batman had a partner prior to Robin coming along, and he gets all worried and self-conscious about it. Superman number 103 features what I believe is the final Mr. Mixia's Tipilic appearance in comics until around 1958 or 1959, when he returns with a misspelled name that ends up sticking around for a while. And Adventure Comics number 224 has a Superboy story where Pa Kent gets superpowers after being struck by lightning and wacky hijinks, not to mention an episode of Smallville, ensue. And that's about it. Kind of a slow month, but things should speed up when the Flash arrives. Pun completely intended. So that's it for this episode. Uh, Kind of a shorter one this time around, but at least you got an episode. Uh, I do want to thank you all very much for listening. Next episode, I'll again be joined by a great special guest as we look at the show's very first imaginary story. And not just any imaginary story, but one of the great ones. So please come back. But I want to thank you all very much for listening to this episode. Be sure to like the show on Facebook, leave an iTunes review, and send me your thoughts on the episode of the story. Remember, that Haney Award isn't going to win itself. But thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Let's make it awful, awful love. The one you hope is the one you want. The one you need. Cause when it's by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. 
If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Now it's song for this episode was All for Love by those three musketeers of melody, Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. The song, which might just be the greatest 80s soft rock power ballad not actually recorded in the 80s, can be found on the soundtrack to the 1993 film The Three Musketeers. Yeah, I really didn't veer too off point on this one. I would apologize, but sorry, not sorry. If you like this or other music heard in the show, you should buy the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting twotruefreaks.com. No, you won't find lost footage of Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell sword fighting in 17th century France, but you will find a banner in the upper left corner of the site. And if you click on that banner, well, you still won't find Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell sword fighting footage, but you will be redirected to Amazon.com. There, if you buy an mp3 or physical copy of the song, Two True Freaks will get a little cut on every purchase. So not only will you get good tunes, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting, and helping make sure the freak in the iron mask is held prisoner in the best possible accommodations. They don't have time for sightseeing, though, as the world's finest is quickly drawn into a fracas between the royal guard on orders from King Louis IV's, wait, XIV, that would be 9, 14, 14, maybe, 10 plus 4, yes. They don't have time for sightseeing, though, as the world's finest are quickly drawn into a fracas between the Royal Guard on orders of...